We are back. Episode 56. 56. You know who you with? You know who you with? Who you with? Who you with? It is Law and... Avia, a.k.a. Avi Gots, if you're nasty. Avi <laughs> What have you done for me lately, Avi Gots? Avi Gots, if you're sporty. I don't know. I, I, we haven't put up a, a, an episode. Yeah, what have we done for y'all since, lately? We haven't September. done Jack Daily Squad for y'all. I I apologize. I don't. So <laughs> That's why we haven't done anything lately. <laughs> I want to start the show before we get into anything, because we, we have a very interesting slew of topics to get to. I want to touch on this. So we've clearly stripped away certain aspects of our show. Um, one of them was Black Car Revoke. Last night I was at a party and Black Car Revoke came up. Not not based on our show, but just in general, like somebody's car black game? car oh. being potentially revoked. Now we were playing the game. We were playing a trivia game, and I want to know whether or not you would revoke somebody's black card over this. Huh. Specifically, someone was asked. Who sings the song, This Is How We Do It? Okay. He said Blackstreet. Don't <laughs> <laughs> tell Jordan, boo. The whole, tell Jordan. Can I tell you? The whole party came to a halt. <laughs> I'm the not joking. I, am not, I cannot make this up. Everybody was like in an uproar over this. Wow. Can, can I ask you, is that, like, people immediately went to, your black card has to be revoked. In your opinion, is that black card revocable? Like, does, does the majority of black people our age supposed to know that? I would say yes. It, you should know that as a black person. But did he say his answer with, like, a lot of conviction? Or yes. was it like he's thinking, yes. thinking, thinking, no, then no. he said it? Because yes, I can understand having a brain fart in the moment and, like, I know this one. And then you just guess the wrong person. He even doubled down after the fact. Oh, he was just like, God. but he's like, well, who really knows Montel Jordan's music like that? And all of us are like, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> Montel Jordan only has like four hits anyway. And we so. all know these songs, by the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, you at least know the hits, you know? Like, you don't even have to listen to the whole album. I don't, I don't think I've ever listened to a whole Montel Jordan album, but like, said, I know the hits. He said, y'all act like I don't know R&B because I didn't know that one song. I'm like, I, we, nobody said you didn't know. Is that even R&B? <laughs> Bruh, you don't even know your genres now. Bruh. He's just like, I know that who, is I know not who, R&B. I know who Case is. I can name songs by him. Can you? And that, that was where his He's going to name some interludes that you have to listen to if you listen to the whole <laughs> album. Right. Some ooh, ooh, you know what Case interlude. But you don't know who's saying this is how we do it. Okay, so. Oh, man. I mean, that's sad. <laughs> I would have hated if that happened to me because I would just have to like tuck my tail between my legs and walk away. Okay, I just wanted to hear you out on that because I wanted to know if what do you, you think? Also, oh, I went in. Oh on yeah, that. I'm sure you. Did. I went. Did you hold him out? Ab- <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. I absolutely did. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's get to the show. So today, instead of going into uh, having a main topic and etc., today we're going to focus on solely hyper good nights. So Y'all, love Y'all love nothing these. Y'all love nothing but the trending topics. And we have a bunch. Nothing but the hits. Nothing but the hits. No, nothing no. but the hits. <laughs> um, before we get to that, there's one more thing I want to say. Uh, rest in peace to John Witherspoon. Um, I, like a lot of other people, felt that when he died. Because to me, he's not only part of my childhood, but in terms of black culture, I think he represents a lot of people's like uncle. 
I was really saddened by that death. Like we've had three pe- three black major people die in this last October month. Elijah Cummings, Diane Carroll, and Pops died That's all within the month of October. That was a big one. Like we lost some greats. I was actually really disappointed in Trump for actually responding to that. Honestly, it's one of the few times where I was like, actually, you should just not say anything on this. Trying to, trying to get these black votes. While that man was alive, you disrespected him multiple times over in his last years of life. And he so, thinks we forgot like he did. Yeah. <laughs> nah. I ain't forget shit. Anything for a black vote, they'll do. Okay. Anyway, let's get to these hyper good nights. And for those of you who are newer to, new to the show, hyper good nights are our way of talking about trending topics. We hype things we like. We good night things we don't like. And so with that being said, we want to start on two specific New York-focused topics. The first one being, over the past few weeks, the NYPD has been cracking down on fair evasion. And essentially, that just means people have been jumping over turnstiles uh, to kind of not pay a fee. And not just turnstiles, but essentially getting on buses and not paying, etc. Uh, <laughs> the... <laughs> The MTA has reported that they've lost around $215 million last year alone in revenue. However, after a video surfaced recently of a 19-year-old black kid named Adrian Napier getting beat up by cops, along with Benjamin Marshall, who was 15, who were getting punched in the face by cops, New Yorkers have started protesting police brutality by holding a mass turnstile hop. And this is with around a thousand people across both Brooklyn and Manhattan. And in fact, the 15 year old uh, Benjamin and his parents are actually suing the city for around $5 million for their son being punched in the face. With all that said, Avia, hyper good night to the mass protests across NYC for police. Uh, I'm, I'm going to hype, hype night this. And I'm sorry to start off with the hype night, but might as well. Okay. Um, I'm hyped that the city is energized into standing up for what's right because the way that those cops approached those young men was not legal. <laughs> like, honestly, in the terms of how you should even um, restrain someone, they weren't even doing anything to be punched, which is crazy. And it's all on video. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that the, the city's energized and they found a movement to show that where they stand in this whole ordeal. Um, I will say the, the good night part is what is going to come from this? And I think I have this question every time we have a march or we have a protest or anything like, what is the next move? Does anyone have a plan? Does anyone have a course of action? Because I mean, I could hop the turnstile, turnstile all I want to, but the truth of the matter is the city's already getting my money because I already have a monthly and I'm going to continue to have a monthly because it's an automatic thing that I get. Um, so they're not losing anything from me hopping this turnstile. It's more of me just making a point, you know? Um, that's where the good night comes in. But I think with any anything, any movement, there's always going to be the question of like, okay, what's next? What can we do next? I do like the fact that they have realized that there is power in numbers. Now, if we can take that and funnel that into some actual energy, which causes change, great. Okay, so on my end, as far as hyper good nights are concerned, I'm, I'm going to be very specific on this. 
I genuinely am hyping the hell out of them protesting, and I'm not going to goodnight anything. And they've done a lot of shit where I would not agree. Because when I've watched almost, I want to say, 40 minutes of protesting video, and I've heard people say things that I was not comfortable with, everything from uh, fuck, fuck cops to kill a cop. And I've seen signs, and I'm like, damn, that, all that shit's unnecessary to me. But I also know where it stems from. Uh, however... Uh, the MTA and their bullshit rhetoric is ridiculous. So the $215 million that they talked about, $96 million of that is from the actual subway, like the turnstiles on the subway. <clears throat> the rest of that is all from buses. And there's nothing they're going to do about the buses because people get on and off the bus all the time and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing. You guys can try to enforce that all you want, but then it would really be up to the bus driver to stop all traffic to push people out, which then would congest everything. So that's just stupid. And then on top of that, if it's $215 million in revenue that you guys are losing, I don't know how bad I'm feeling for you when you're asking for $41 to $61 billion to do renovations from the state and the city. I don't know how bad I feel for you, ultimately. Seriously. You're asking for $41 to $61 billion. And we've already shown you you've already shown multiple times over that you guys don't know how to actually allocate funds towards anything. So I don't feel bad for any of you motherfuckers. Two hundred and fifteen million dollars, go eat it. And ultimately They've the raised the fares too. The whole police brutality part of this is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. At the point that you would beat a kid up, like multiple cops pounding on a kid's face over hopping the turnstile. Guys, there's actual crimes being committed that are actually serious. This is the last thing you motherfuckers should be worried about. This is like 0.0001% of things that you should be worried about in a city like New York. And so that's where we're putting our police resources, towards this. That's ridiculous. There's also a $100 fine that's attached to this if you do hop a turnstile. And it was a misdemeanor up until as of, I think, last year. So I'm not understanding why you guys are putting so much emphasis on this, and I don't give a shit about the $250 million because ultimately I know you guys are about to get funds out of the ass in the next year or so anyway. So fuck them. That's it. All right, next subject. So if you guys have been sleeping under a rock, you probably... <laughs> You probably would have not heard about the Joker movie, which was released uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the Joker movie came out, and it it has become its own phenomenon. Everything from people trying to uh, produce either shootings or replicating things that have happened in the movie. And I said all that to say the Joker mania has also hit New York City, but specifically the Bronx, which is where some of the movie was shot, um, which... Therein lies our hyper good night there. I'll be a hyper good night to tourists flocking to the set of stairs in the Bronx that were seen in the Joker movie, which has been causing mass congestion and getting on the everlasting nerve around everybody who lives in that area. I feel bad because I'm about to hype night this too. <laughs> what a Trust and believe the whole episode will not be hype nighted. There's things that I know I'm going to good night. But um, when I was thinking about it, I mean, at the end of the day... The problem was, the problem was, there's people that live in the Bronx in this area. It's the High Bridge area. Um, if you Google it now, it's now called Joker Stairs on Google Maps, which is crazy. But um, there's people that live in this area that have an issue with these tourists 
um, congregating here because they're blocking the flow of traffic and they're also bringing unwanted energy and attention to a place that was completely left alone. If you know anything about New York, you know that tourists don't go to the Bronx. I would say 90% of tourists don't have it on their bucket list to visit the Bronx normally. But Aside from if they're going to a Yankee game. Right. That's true. That's true. And if they do go to the Bronx, they're going to these landmark specific locations. They're not just out wandering through the streets like they would in Harlem, seeing like what restaurants to try or really. Oh, I want to go see the churches. Right. They're not really (laughs) taking in the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? So if they do go to the Bronx, they're going to these very specific touristy like places like a Yankees game or like you said, the zoo. Um, but no one comes to this high bridge area. So I can understand the uncomfort from people that live there that now have to deal with these people that are blocking a normal stairway, what's always been normal to them, and be making it an attraction of sorts. The other argument that I've heard is that this is how gentrification starts. People see an area, they realize, oh, it's not that bad, and they want to now capitalize on it. And in some sort of... Um, long way I do feel like this could be the the case now do I think that all tourists are coming to High Ridge Stairs and thinking it's a wonderful place and 10 years down the line just moving to the Bronx and gentrifying it no but just like any other place if I went to Inglewood and I saw the place where they film Insecure I may want to take a picture in front of it Cause that's just me. Oh, touristy ass. Yeah, I mean, there's places in different countries where tourists <laughs> flock and they don't think about how it affects the people that live in that area every day. Mm-hmm. As a tourist, you're not thinking, oh, if I come here, it's gonna disgruntle some people. If I come here, people are going to think that I am um, exploiting their area. Every area that is a touristy spot is there for exploitation. Now, I just think it's sad that the residents have to go through this battle with the tourists because they're so used to not having to deal with them. But the hype would be tourists don't know any better. They don't know the implications that are happening for them from from them treating this as a tourist spot when it's never been that. And the good night would be, you know, the what could happen from it which could be gentrification down the line. People are already capitalizing on Harlem. South Bronx is already there too. So High Bridge, not a popular area, but I can see it becoming one now. Well, my response is I'm hyping the hell out of this. I want more tourists to go to the Bronx so they stay the fuck away from Harlem. And they will not. I want them to get all the energy that we always get. For random ass shit. I want all of that. Get nah. go to the Bronx, enjoy all of that. Get You're gonna in come there. back from the Bronx and go to Abyssinian Church right after. You already know. No, then go I to want, Amy Roos. I want y'all to for, enjoy for brunch. The <laughs> hell out of the Bronx. I also want all the weird shit that happens in the Bronx to happen to y'all too. Well, all the weird <laughs> shit normally happens in the Bronx anyway, so exactly. <laughs> Alright, next top topic. Speaking of weird shit, so <laughs> Um, we're just coming off the heels of Halloween, as you guys know, and Halloween's just one of those kind of time periods where people like to go to haunted houses, they like to do freaky and weird shit, but in this case, um, we have a good-ass Halloween-ish story for y'all about a place called the McCammy Manor. It's a torture chamber that originated in San Diego and has since transitioned to Tennessee. 
the owner of the manor has been offering up somewhere around 20k for anyone that could last eight hours in the quote-unquote torture chamber as the experience involves everything from a form of waterboarding to insects crawling on your face you being kicked slapped dragged choked locked into tight spaces tied up your hair shaving off cut with razors uh you have to eat unknown substances including things that you might have regurgitated um and and this is one of those things where there is a set group of people who are interested in doing these experiences because you're doing it for free they're not paying you to do it and you're not paying to be a part of it you're just doing it for free and the only thing that you have to bring is dog food to potentially be a part of this experience because the person has a dog with all that said um there <laughs> there seems to be one thing that bothers me more than anything before i get to the actual hyper good night of this you have to sign a 40 page fucking waiver that includes a death option before you even go into this place um after a few whistleblowers and social media people dug into this once the 20k was raised and and brought to the table there has been a petition that has kind of come up against the manor so with all that said, hyper good night to the petition that has been signed by more than a thousand people to shut down the McCammy Manor in Tennessee. It's been eighty-one thousand people now. Woof. You go first. Woof. <laughs> I will definitely go first on this. Um, I think my first inclination to this is good night. I'm good nighting anybody that's petitioning this because if anybody signs a 40-page waiver mm -hmm. and they want to get down, it's no different than if you sign up for the military and you want to get down and you know all the things that they're telling you that could go wrong in that shit. So you sign up, that's on you. I don't want to be the person that dictates whether or not you have a terrible or trash-ass experience in this torture chamber. It's called the fucking torture chamber and I know they call it a, ma a manor, but ultimately it's a torture chamber. At the point that you know it's a torture chamber, what the fuck do you expect to happen to you? Mm -hmm. You're going into a torture chamber. Um, what, I really, what I'm really finding hard to believe more than anything is that there's been people who have went back more than once. So it's kind of like you like this experience. And in reading the little bit that I read about this, I'm more or less shocked that there is a difference between what the the owner of this space calls waterboarding versus what the general definition of waterboarding is, as well as what people have said that they experience. So it's clear that waterboarding is taking place, but he's like, oh, no, 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 that's not actual waterboarding. I'm like, this motherfucker wants to kill you motherfuckers. And y'all okay with it. I love the fact that he's just outright, I like to torture people, and I'm down to torture you if you down to get tortured. I would just love to understand who's his wife or who's his girl because I don't know who's willing to deal with the shit that that motherfucker's prepared to do to you. But all in all, like I said, good night to anybody that signs petition because I think it is a waste. Let them have all of the violent fun that they want. Now I feel like I need to hype night everything. Um, I'm with you on the good night in the in the way that. Uh, Listen. Wait, you really about to hype night this? No, I'm trying not to. So <laughs> as I'm talking it out, I'm trying to get rid of the hype and go fully for the good night here. Because I don't want to make it seem like I don't care about people. I do. I do. But I can't care about you more than you care about yourself if I don't know you. Like, I just can't. Um, And 
my morals and standards wants to hype the petition because I don't agree with what he's doing. And I don't think that just because he has his 40 page waiver that he should be allowed to carry out his fetish. Cause that's what it is. It's a really sick fetish that he does. He films these people going through these experiences, being tortured, um, almost dying. There's been instances of, um, people choking others and then having to stop because they thought they killed someone they realized they hadn't and so there's been a lot of things that have gone down and i was intrigued by this since the day i heard about it which was around halloween and i've been watching a couple of videos uh since and i just can't watch anymore it's just crazy but if you ever want to youtube it just type in mckamey manor and everything will pop up but what you see is not everything that happens so if i see this and there's things that are happening that I don't see. I can only imagine how bad those things are. Now, the reason why he films is because if anyone wants to bring him into court and sue him for anything, he can visually show that whatever they're bringing him to court about did not happen. And so he tries to cover his behind with the 40-page waiver and with filming. And that's how he's been able to get away with it since 2012. Now, the good night comes in because, like you said, if people are signing this waiver, if people have seen videos of him doing XYZ things online, if people have been told by him, because mind you, he has, he has a Skype session with these people before they even enter, and he tells them the things that they could experience. The waiver ceremony where they sign the waiver is nothing to laugh about either. It's like a taste of what you get in the torture chamber. So if people are willing to go through that, who am I to stop them? I think everybody's sick. Y'all could be sick together as long as it has no impact on me and the greater part of humanity. Um, one of the things that I don't know if you mentioned is that he makes sure that all the victims, I'll call them, all the willingly victims have a doctor's note saying that they're physically okay and they also have some sort of notation saying that they're mentally sound as well. I'm sorry, but if you volunteer to go through something like this, how mentally sound are you? Mm. And that's where I, I mm. that's where my my hype kind of comes in because I'm like, clearly these people have issues. Clearly he sees that he can, um, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Manipulate. Yeah, manipulate them, and so he's taking them on, and I don't know. It's just it's just an effed up situation. It is really messed up, and I can see why someone would want to create a petition for this. I just I I don't know. Now, I expected you to 100% align yourself with this. I expected you to be all in on the protest and the petition. And here's why. I equated this in my mind already before you ever spoke to R. Kelly. Literally. Same thing. Manipulation, everything. Every single thing that you just brought up. He had his own fucking dungeon house and all that shit where... I don't want to call it a torture chamber, but there was some torturous shit going on in there. He had a, he had a black room where he did some freaky shit to people. All the shit that you could talk about with R. Kelly, this motherfucker is doing that's, this in a different that's way. That's a very good point. And so I know how you were against all the R. Kelly shit. So my uh, my opinion was that you were going to go all in and be like, nah, this is not okay. Nobody should be going through this. And that guy needs to be held accountable for this. But in this instance, it sounds like you're like, no, this is, this is different. I don't want to give... R. Kelly, any sort of rope. I don't want to throw him any sort of rope, but I have to say in this situation, people have a better idea of what they're signing up for. What? 
people have a better idea of what they're signing up for. With, with our, who? With McCamey Manor. Really? Yes. Even with all the stuff I just called out, I still don't think that at the point that he himself is acting like the waterboarding thing is You can see the videos and see that these waterboarding. No, but I'm saying, (laughs) do they really have that good of an idea? These videos that are on YouTube have been out for years. So anyone who's on a waiting list to experience this knows that they could possibly go through some of the things that they've seen on this video. And at the Tell point where... Tell how many people on a waiting list, too. You didn't there's like... Them. It's like 17,000 people, supposedly. I think it could be more. I don't know if he... I don't know if Russ McCamey has created this number to bring the hype around it. I read 40,000. I'm sure it's gone up since then because and now he's offering money. Sanity. Now he's offering money for someone to go through eight hours of torture. He doesn't call it torture. He calls it a, an experience where, you know, it's it's a mental, psychological, physical experience. But no one has been able to go through eight hours. The only person that's been able to go through most of it, which is six hours, is some woman. And so she didn't get the money. So I can understand people wanting to now be on the waiting list for this thing because they think they can handle it and they want the money at the end but like eight hours my guy of being mentally tortured go pledge a fraternity <laughs> <laughs> like do that actually just be in jail with r kelly <laughs> no no You'll i'm not fine. i you made a very good point because i'm not going to say that hey yeah i agree to you like i said i don't agree with what anyone's doing in this situation all I'm saying is that there's a little bit more transparency into what you're getting yourself into, especially if you're reading 40 pages of what is outlining what is going to happen and what you are signing your life away for. You are voluntarily putting yourself in a dangerous position. I don't think that a lot of R. Kelly's victims thought that they were putting themselves in a dangerous position. And Yes, they did. Okay, that's bullshit after a certain date. After the twenty, after after the two thousand and two and things beyond that, everybody kind of knew where R. Kelly stood. Don't to, don't fake. Don't you do have to? Not you have to understand though. Some of, some of his victims that were in that documentary oh, yeah. are like, no, you have to you have to listen though. You said two thousand two, right? Some of I, I, it. I, listen to me. Listen to me. Some of his victims that were in that documentary are like barely twenty now. So you go back to 2002, that's 18 years ago. There were two when everything happened. I'm not even trying to turn this into the R. Kelly episode, but you are make you are making the defense of them not knowing about all the bullshit. I literally said some of his victims. Out. I literally said some of his victims. You are I cannot them an excuse. I can't give a blanket statement to all of his victims Which because is- they all had different um mental capacities. They all had different motivations. I can't say that. All I'm saying is that what R. Kelly is doing is wrong. And I don't think that when people first got into a situation with him, they knew exactly what was going to happen. In this McCamey Manor situation, you know what's going to happen to you. And you are willing to put your life through that. Also, also, I want to say this. You're comparing an emotional situation to a very... Emotional? Not, emotional. Like when someone's you... emotionally tied to someone. Okay. To... Someone being tortured and there's no relationship. There's no relationship. There's no. All I'm saying is that people 
put themselves through things when they are in so-called relationships. They they are willing to go through things that they would normally be willing to go through. If people will also go if through there are for money, emotions like twenty thousand dollars. I agree with you, but a lot of these people that we're talking about that have been on these YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. We're not going through this experience for twenty thousand dollars. That's and a, a lot recent of those thing. Women weren't going through that for money either. They just wanted to be with R. Kelly. I mean, you're victim shaming at this point. But all I'm saying to you is, all I'm saying to you is, I don't agree with any of it. I'm just saying okay. that if these girls signed a forty page waiver saying I will pee in a bucket if I live in your house, and they go and do that, then that's on them. They did not do that. But the, you know what you're signing up for for McCamey Manor. At this point, you do. You do. You could say okay. All I'm saying to you is those. You could. We say have the a same blurry video of R. Kelly peeing on a say, girl. You could say the same thing about any of those girls. Is the point that I'm making, and you definitely I don't defended be, those girls. And all I'm saying is, I would assume I'm not going to victim you, shame them. But I would assume you would have defended these people the same way. No, these people are signed. Are are obviously and clearly signing up to be tortured. Okay. How can I say you are now a victim because you are now in an experience that you did not expect to happen? You signed up for this willingly. You flew across the country. Not all these people live in Tennessee. People fly in for, from different countries. You flew across the country to go through this experience. And when what happened on the waiver actually happened to you, now you're a victim? I'm sorry. I can't. What do you want me to say about that? So, okay. All right. I'm going to I'm gonna just back away from this one. Okay. I expected something different, but she says what she says. Okay. Next up. Kanye West released an album. The album was titled Jesus is King. This is something that I feel like the Twitter sphere has been kind of asking about for the past few weeks to the past few months. And there's been several leaks on said project, but this officially just came out within the past week and a half. Avia, you said you listened to it. Mm-hmm. I've listened to it. I would love for you to start with your opinion. Hyper good night to the Jesus is King album. I'm a good night it. Um, I think with any Kanye project, the thing that he excels in is producing. I think Facts. I think the the elements of the songs and how are they, how they were put together is phenomenal per the usual. What he says, I'm not really into. Like I can't. The, the, I get the whole sentiment of the Chick Fil A being closed on Sundays, and I get what he's trying to do. <laughs> right. I just don't feel that it is an album that I will put on, saying, "Hey, I'm gonna listen to this album." Like I I, I don't. I don't get that feeling. I don't get that vibe. Like, I did like Yay. Um, there are songs in this album that are cool, but if this is the type of music he's going to be producing, I mean, good for him. I don't, I can't ride the Kanye train though. I just, I just can't. You know, I, I saw his interview with, with Zane Lowe. He explains a lot of things that. I think that Kanye as a person, I know the Hyper Good Night was around the album, but I will say Kanye as a person seems more sound than he has seemed in the last, like mentally sound than he has seemed in the last like five years. I could actually understand his thoughts. There was clarity, there was connection. It wasn't like- Just sporadic right, thoughts. Right, right. Okay. Um, so I appreciate where he is mentally, 
The issue that I have with him is how he feels about Trump. And I almost, um, and that's part of the reason why I, I kind of can't rock with the album. Cause I'm like, how can you feel this way to make this music and then support someone who locks kids in cages and you have four kids. Trump and I almost believe that Kanye supports Trump just to rebel against what people say he should be supporting. I feel like that is his sole reason for supporting him. He has no other basis for supporting him. He literally says, Democrats tell me I should vote for Hillary. So I'm going to go the opposite way. And that's his only reason. And that's not good enough for me, bruh. As he says, bruh. So I'm going to say goodnight to the album. <laughs> All that to say, goodnight to the album. <laughs> I'm going to keep this way more simple. I'm goodnighting the album because I only like three tracks. I liked, I like Follow God. Well, name the tracks like that you don't like. Everything We Need. And I liked use this gospel oh, which you, have the new clips you that's only it. like three tracks that's it. i thought you said you didn't like three tracks okay. I, I only like three tracks and those those three tracks i like i said there's follow god everything we need and use this gospel which had brought the clips back together it seems to like water for some reason aside from that the rest of the album to me was absolutely boring mm. and nothing that i would ever play twice and i expect more from him than that uh, i also felt like you can't like you can't do what he's trying to do and blend both the gospel world with rap and not actually rap on every track. You can't just have just the gospel track because that's not actually why we're here. We're here to hear you do your thing on top of that. Mm -hmm. And if you're just going to do the gospel thing, then just put that out on a separate record where it's not even you. Maybe it's just Kanye Presents. But do you feel like he's trying to capitalize on the the gospel church community by now doing secular music or now choosing to do gospel gospel music i think he is choosing to do gospel music because something on his heart is telling him to do that but what i can't understand for the life of me is whether or not he is using the choir or the choir is using him what do you mean so he found a choir in L.A. Right. that fit the bill of everything that he was looking for. They could translate uh, sexual songs into gospel hymns. Like they, and that's not they, nothing new. They they did that for Anxious. If y'all don't know, yes, heard that I heard of that. it. I heard it. It's great. It's actually great. Yeah, not jokingly. Um, and they were capable of doing that. So when he first started off doing his whole Sunday service thing, it was just them doing that kind of sound. No preacher, no nothing. And then eventually it transitioned into them doing the preacher bit of it along with them doing songs. And frankly, I never, ever, ever felt like it was him being able to be him. Like he's sitting back as a church fan just kind of clapping along and doing that versus being integrated in the overall experience now occasionally he'd get up and do a jesus walks or one of these other songs where he blended it but it wasn't a true uh bombastic kanye moment where i'm like oh this is why people go to sunday service and so i said all that to say i am one of those people that just doesn't understand what he's trying to achieve or what on the other hand the the choir is trying to achieve and I really, really don't understand why certain things are still important to him. You certain you transition all into the... So just musically. I'm not talking about... Just musically. Mm -hmm. 
if you hear the song Follow God, which is my favorite song on the album, he's still talking about the same things that he normally talks about. Himself, self-identity, bigging himself up, I'm the best at this, da, 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 da. It's still things that are very actual unchristian. Being Christian requires a level of humility, requires a level of... Um, you have to be able to take a step back and know everything's not about you and not be the person who's extremely into themselves and extremely self-absorbent. And you're still that person in your records. And I'm like, this is kind of contradictory to what you're supposed to be upholding as a Christian. So I'm not sure what his angle is. His argument is this is the beginning of his walk. So he's going to go through some things. I, I will say that's another reason I dislike the album is because the way that he presented himself on particularly that song, if you watch the Zane Lowe interview, he is very humbled. There are still moments of Kanye that come out where it's like, well, you know, I'm the greatest at this. But, but he, that's what I'm talking about. He has that stuff. Like that interview was two hours of him humbling himself to a lot of situations that have gone on in the past, which was shocking to me. So when I hear the album, after seeing the interview, I'm like, dang, but in the interview, you seem genuinely humbled by these certain things, yet you still put out this music about right. this. Okay. Next up on our list, um, let's talk a little bit about college sports. The NCAA has made new rules, and they are now finally allowing players to be able to profit off of their likeness, which was not acceptable for, from before. And by profit off their license, I mean pro profit off their likeness, that means if they were in a video game, they can actually get kickbacks from that. If they were to sign autographs, they could actually get kickbacks from that. Before, players weren't allowed to do that. And if they potentially have jersey sales of any kind where their name happens to be on the piece of material, then they could potentially get money off of that. I said all that to say, Avia, hyper good night to the NCAA opening their rules up to allow for players to be able to profit off their likeness. I'm definitely hyping that. Um, I don't see, maybe because I don't understand a lot of the things pertaining to the NCAA, but I mean, why should a player not profit off of their likeness? I feel like for so many years, colleges have been getting all of the, all of the revenue, oh, yeah. all of the attention, oh, yeah. all of the oh, yeah. everything. This player is at your school and they are excelling to a point where now thousands of people want to apply to your school more than before. Word, word, This person is bringing you money, so why not pay them for, for their presence and for their talent and for their gifts? Like, I don't see what the problem would be. The problem would probably be that they haven't done this sooner. So, hype. I am hype night in this. Ooh. So here's here's my uh, hype. This should have been done forever ago, as Avi already alluded to. So no harm, no foul. Um, I'm grateful that the players can actually do this for once, and it shouldn't have taken conversation between LeBron James and a fucking senator in California for this to be pushed. Taco Tuesday. Hey. <laughs> they were talking over tacos. Most likely. <laughs> you joking? But most likely. Um, but realistically, the NCAA saw the writing on the wall. They knew that after that legislation was going to get passed in California, what other states were going to do. So the NCAA moved on their ass. They got their they got their board to kind of vote on this. And so within the next couple of years, this, they're going to allow for players to actually profit off their likeness. Here's where I'm good night in the fuck out of this. Because that shit is minuscule. 
That is tiny, small peons of money. Every single player that's in the NCAA, I don't give a damn what the sport is, should be paid to be an amateur athlete. The problem is that likeness money is nothing compared to TV broadcast money. Mm -hmm. And since the NCAA is a nonprofit organization, which is also some bullshit, because they're all. Because they stay making profit. profit. Thank you. (laughs) That's all they do. Those kids should be getting some of that. They have signed contracts. And by they, I mean the NCAA. They have signed contracts with ESPN. They've signed contracts with CBS, TBS, TNT. And they have, across the board, these are like billion-dollar contracts to be able to provide that content to the masses when it goes live. Whether it's March Madness or the NCAA tournament, like for football, all of these things are telling me that there's billions of dollars out there. If you're telling me you can't divvy up that money across all the schools in the country, you are a fucking liar. I don't care whether it's every kid should get $50,000 a year, but these kids should get paid. The problem is you telling that these kids that, you know, you can go profit off your likeness. All that's going to do is the best possible kids are going to get you know, money from that. Yeah. People will want autographs from the best possible kids. What happens to those other fucking kids that aren't that good and nobody wants their autograph? I thought about that. They're going to go, hey, so where the fuck is my money coming in at? And how come I'm not being paid? I'm putting my body on the line. I'm actually having to do both schoolwork and have to go to practice after this. And I'm not being compensated for it. So until you guys make a space for both the athlete to get money off of their direct salary from you and the broadcast dollars that you bring in and their likeness, I don't give a fuck about this shit. That's it. But in a way, don't you feel like this is kind of on a lower scale mirroring what happens in the NBA? Well-paid players are the ones that play the best. That's just the way it goes. So LeBron James' salary is not going to go to Joe Schmo that's been playing for two years. So I, I think that in a way it's like, yes, these these kids that aren't getting paid for their likeness because they're not as good as these kids that are, aren't getting anything. But like at the end of the day, that kind of mirrors what happens in the NBA anyway. Yeah, you're going to get something, but it's not going to be anything close to what a LeBron's making what uh yeah, Kawhi is making again i'm fine with them not doing i'm fine with them not making that because of free market space but what i'm not fine with is you not giving them a cut of the money from the broadcast which is the real money mm-hmm. that's where all the money is give them that money like the ncaa they don't want to do that math <laughs> <laughs> that's it all right let's move on political ads so for those of you again that have been sleeping on that goddamn rock the Twitter CEO has came out and announced that they will no longer allow political ads on their platform. This comes on the heels of Mark Zuckerberg doubling down and saying that he's going to allow them on his platforms, which is inclusive of Facebook, Instagram, and a slew of other apps. So, Avia, hyper good night to the... Twitter CEO announcing that he will no longer allow political ads on his platform. Um, I'm going to hype it. I feel that you could tell from the from the Clinton controversy with Trump, um, there was a lot of ads that were put out that were false. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of ads that kind of skewed votes. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of ads that made it seem like someone was progressing further than a different candidate. And 
I think that as much distraction as those cause, we don't need that. There's already so much distraction in the news to begin with because the news only gives us what they want to. So it's like just trying to find out the real facts and not the fake news, as Trump says, is kind of hard. So you have all these social platforms, you have um, the newspapers, and then you have TV that are all saying so many different things when it comes to politics. Do we really need these ads? Are they actually helping for the truth to be revealed in any situation or are they adding more distraction? Are they skewing people's votes? Are they, I just feel like as is, as our, our, our subtle way of us ingesting information and we're not even realizing how it's impacting our decisions. It's kind of like um, <laughs> when you look up some shoes online and then you go to like a different webpage and all of a sudden those shoes just show up on the side. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then it's just like, you're not even thinking. You may be thinking, oh my gosh, those shoes I just looked up. But like, say you go to more websites down the course of the week and those shoes are still popping up on the side, you're going to start thinking, hey, maybe I should buy those. Because you've seen those shoes every single day when you've logged into the internet. So I think ads and how they work, and I mean, this is your forte, so you can tell me if I'm wrong, but like, they are a subtle and non-subtle way of like just invading people's minds, brains, and thoughts and, and, and causing them to do things in ways that they didn't even, you know, pinpoint to an ad. Like, so no, um, I'm going to hype it. All right. Well, I'm going to get in there now. Um, oh, I can't wait to hear your expertise information on this. I'm going to good night it. Mm. I'm going to good night it for the fact that one... Um, when you think of political ads, you have to think of it a lot broader than what people are thinking. People are very siloed in their thinking. They don't think about the holistic picture. Now, Mark Zuckerberg's made his stance, and a lot of people have tried to poke holes in his stance because there is definitely a difference between free speech and paid speech. And by paid speech, anytime you put out a political post and you boost it to get more awareness and pe more people see it, there's a difference there. And... What networks do, like a CBS, a NBC, if you are going to put a political ad on their platform, it's going to get fact-checked. And you can't put out lies on their platform or they'll just remove you or they won't allow your ad to go up. And in this case, Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, he is just saying, I want to allow people to put up whatever ad they want because the people should be allowed to see if you're a liar or not. The people should be allowed to know what your stance are if it's a lie or whatever it is. Um, that's a part of his argument. But the bigger part of it, and this is where you cannot argue this, nobody can. And this is where I feel like the Twitter CEO is getting it wrong. The same way people think Zuckerberg is getting it wrong is the same way the Twitter CEO is getting this wrong. If you ban all political ads, what did you really just do? You took away the ability for someone who's not the incumbent and by the incumbent, I mean the current president or the current regime who is currently in office to get that same form of awareness out. So if you have a smaller candidate who can't necessarily raise all the dollars to be on network TV, who can't necessarily do or have as many investors in their political interests as, say, a, I don't know, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or et cetera, you have a platform like a Facebook. You have a platform like a Twitter where you can push your message out. You can reach more people 
because you can do it in pocketed scales and those people will actually reach out to other people saying that I saw a message for the first time that actually related to me. And if you don't do that, all you're doing is giving volume to people who already have it. So imagine Republicans went out and it's only the Republican point of view that's in the masses and the Republicans get to dictate whether or not abortion is real, whether or not I don't know, climate change is real. Then all you're seeing is messages around abortion, messages around climate change being a hoax. And what are we supposed to do with that? We can't do anything because ultimately we've said, it's fine, There's, they should be allowed to push out whatever message they are on other platforms. And I don't know. I don't know whether why I don't see anything on the Twitter or the Facebooks of the world and why I'm only seeing these things on TV that are telling me, something completely different than what I've always thought. And we start to believe the bullshit because those people who have larger pockets went out. That's how this shit happens. And that's a problem. Can I ask you, Is Twitter has Twitter in the past fact-checked any political ads that they've posted or they've had on their, on their social network? Because... Not to my knowledge. And I think that's where the problem lies. Like you like you said, you have these broadcast companies that are fact-checking, and so they are posting something that is a true editorial statement. But Twitter... Facebook has. Facebook has. Facebook absolutely has. Okay. But they haven't done it on political ads, on purpose. That's where it gets... That's a, lot of, that's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to do that across all ads. Right. If, if, if you or I owned a group on Facebook... And it was 13,000 people in one group. And we put out a post and wanted it to be promoted. Like we put money against mm-hmm. it together, have it boosted. That ad is going to be scanned and checked and go into a reservoir and won't be released until it's actually been reviewed. And after it's being reviewed, they're going to tell you, you cannot post this for XYZ reason. But Twitter doesn't even have a promoted... Yes, they do. They do. Absolutely. And so those ads do not go through that same process as those Facebook ads? I'm saying to you, I can't speak to that. I don't know off the top of my head. Now, if that is the case, then I can understand why, even more so, why they would get rid of this. Because it's like, okay, well, we don't want to be responsible for putting or allowing people to see... um, Fake news? Well, yeah, fake news Mm -hmm. if it impacts the larger country. Like, I can understand them not wanting to have any part of that. I'm not saying that all social media networks should do that because, like you said, it is good to see multiple outlets talking about one thing so you can get multiple views on it. This is why this stuff is difficult. Your your point, though, around them doing the fact-checking is 100% accurate. And that is where I would push on Zuckerberg or I would push on other CEOs of other platforms. If it's about fact-checking, just do the fact-checking. The problem is, and this is where I can't argue with them yet again, climate change is a polarizing issue. There is scientific proof that climate change is happening. But that's a political statement right now. So people on the right could say, oh, you didn't bar them from putting up a climate change message. And then that's when he gets into a territory, whether it's Zuckerberg or the CEO of Twitter, where their team is then dictating what news is or what is right. And he's like, I can't be the arbiter of what is right. I can't be the arbiter of fact checking things that are facts versus not, because ultimately we're just giving people a platform and a space where they should be able to share their opinions. But me being the person to dictate that is a whole different conversation. I mean, we've gone through four years of our own president lying to us. 
So I think this is definitely a move based off of Trump's presidency. This has never been done before. Um, and he has constantly lied to the people. Facts. And he's lied to us before he became president. Facts. So I think in that aspect, I can understand why Twitter's like, we don't want no parts of this. We don't even want to perpetuate what he has already perpetuated to the masses. Yep. That's not real. So I can understand that. And that's why I'm hyping it. All right. Good chat. <laughs> Good fireside chat, eh? Um, all right. So next on the docket, as Law likes to say, <laughs> <laughs> Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle has been trending recently. Who is that? Who Meghan is- Markle is all black girls princess, <laughs> duchess, whatever you want to call her, of Sussex. Okay. I can't spell Sussex. Black so. royalty. You got me. <laughs> you know how to spell sex, so just add sus. <laughs> <laughs> it's a compound word no oh <laughs> um, so, so megan markle has been in the news recently as she usually is for different things but this time because of an interview that she did with itv itv produced a documentary with prince harry and megan markle basically journeying their life and how they've helped others in south africa and day-to-day living and in this interview um basically the reporter has asked her how her first year has been and she tells him and is candid that it has been hard she mentions how before she got with prince harry one of her friends said you know i'm sure he's great but I think you need to worry about the British tabloids and how she didn't listen to her friend because she felt like it was something she could handle. And now under the scrutiny of England and the world, she has had to deal with having a baby and uh, being a wife for for the second time, uh, but now to a royal and dealing with the the scrutiny of that from the tabloids. So there's been a lot of backlash about this. Some people have said she should have never aired out her family business as far as like how she's feeling and how she's coping with the brave face. And some people applaud her saying, you know, wow, finally someone from the royal family is keeping it real. So hype or good night to Megan's candid answer about how she is feeling. Um, Personally, I'm going to hype that because... I feel like transparency is important and mental health is super important. And at the point that you can vocalize you being somebody who is right now at peak awareness across the world. People across the world know who the fuck you are. And so if you can be one of those people who is a mental health agent and like actually speak on behalf of how important it is to always put mental health first, I'm all for that. Let her be that beacon for people who don't feel like they can speak out. And I don't give a damn about what the tabloids say or any of that dumbass shit. Like, she shouldn't either. But at the point that she does, she should be able to vocalize that. And I, I would hope that the royal family comes around and understands why she's doing that. And understands what she's going through. Because if they don't, that's sad. Go for it. I'm going to hype it, um, of course. I think that mental health is real. I think that postpartum depression is a real thing, too. And a lot of men don't understand that. I'm saying men because women hear about it all the time. 
Um, the only men who seem to understand it are ones that have wives that have gone through it. So after having a baby, you can't control those feelings. You can't control what you're going through. And I'm not saying this is what she has, but what if she does? And to add to that, now she's in the public eye and now she's married to a prince and the British tabloids are tearing her apart. Um, I, I think it's pretty sad that she has unfortunately married into a family that doesn't care. Bloop. And obviously you can see that they didn't care. Um, Prince Harry has mentioned this multiple times that he doesn't want his wife to end up the way that his mother did and the way that he sees that things are going with the tabloids, with the paparazzi, and that's how his mother died. Um, he doesn't want to have the same fate. And I think that not only the, the royal family, but I'm not quite sure if the, in the British culture, do they even talk about these things? I think that mental health has just become a thing in America. Like, I don't know how other countries are even handling it. I think that if you were to look up Princess Diana and what she went through, she went through bouts of anorexia and bulimia and depression. And none of that has ever been talked about, to my knowledge, from the royal standpoint as part of like something that they acknowledge. Um, and so I'm definitely gonna hype her. Definitely gonna hype her. Now, for Meghan Markle, part two, we have Wendy Williams. Now, how are you doing? How are you doing, Wendy? Now, Meghan Markle was a topic on Wendy Williams' show as a part of Hot Topics. And she was talking about Meghan Markle's interview on Which is ITV. Which a fake version of Hyper Good Nights. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hyper Good Nights is our fake version of Hot. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. <laughs> so, um, Wendy actually brings up the interview on ITV with Meghan Markle. And she basically shuts it all down. And doesn't feel any sort of ounce of sorry for her. She says, girl, you know what you were getting into. You knew that the tabloids were going to tear you apart. You knew what kind of stature that family had when you married into it. I don't feel bad for you, not one bit. She also goes into mention how Meghan Markle actually applied. She didn't even apply. She actually called the show and asked if she could be a style consultant. It wasn't even a position that was created, but she asked if she could be that for the show. And they looked into it. And just when they were about to get back to her to hire her, all of a sudden it came out that she was uh, with Prince Harry. And so I think under Wendy's positioning, she thinks that Meghan Markle just wanted the fame. And so that's why she is goodnighting, I would say. Her her feelings or her, her, her um, idea that this is not what she signed up for type of thing when it came to the royal family and what the press says about her. So hyper goodnight to Wendy not having any sort of sympathy for Megan's position. I I personally am going to hype Wendy for this. Woo! Um, it is more so because Wendy's doing the right thing. We wouldn't be talking about it if Wendy didn't come in so strong. Wendy's just doing her job. Uh, so I don't think anything of this, actually. I think Wendy is doing the right thing about around not only bringing more awareness to her show, but doing the trending topics in a way that's going to stir up enough people to go oh shit wendy said what about who and so i don't mind it but black twitter took it off and took it to an extraterrestrial level where they start saying 
how can you say anything about what's happening in her shit when your shit is absolutely blasphemous? And they basically started to do this kind of duality around you went through ment- like not only a mental lapse and a mental breakdown and all that shit with you and Kevin, and yet, I don't know if that's his name or not. Maybe. Kevin, yeah, Kevin. I don't, I don't, that's his name, Kevin Hunter. He calls him something else. He calls him Kelvin so that he doesn't have to like say that he said this about this person. He doesn't have to say allegedly every time. He could just be like, well, Kelvin was like. Well, so he pur- purposely messes up his name so that he can say whatever he wants about him and doesn't is not held liable. Got it. All right. Yeah. So I, 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 I was calling him Kevin because I've read That's his, his name, name as Kevin before. Charlamagne calls him Kelvin for legal reasons. That makes perfect sense now. And I didn't. Okay, I didn't. That's perfect. Anyway, the, the, the larger point that they were making on black Twitter was more so around the fact that one, Wendy and the shit that she was going through, she checked herself out of everything. She's like, I, I can't go on the show. And in fact, they took her away from her show for a while because mentally she was just out of it. Couldn't I say the same thing about her? Shouldn't you have known what would happen if you were in this life and people found out shit about you? Like, why are you even taking a, a sabbatical of sorts? Why are you taking time off at all? This shouldn't even be that hard for you to deal with. But you're hyping her? But but no, no. But okay. here, here is where I, I'm, I'm giving you the black Twitter perspective of it. Okay. But here's where I love it because Black Twitter wouldn't be talking about this if Wendy wasn't so dogmatic in her stance on, girl, you got to deal with that shit. Because Wendy's also on the other end, like, I'm dealing with my shit. So get past it. And which I don't mind. Have that conversation out. You're never going to actually get Megan to come on the show now. (laughs) Good luck. I'm sure Megan's fine with that. (laughs) But good luck. Um, I think I'm going to have to good night it. Why? Um, I don't want to give Wendy the credit in saying nobody was talking about this until she did because everybody was talking about this. Now, it may not have been black Twitter until she said it, but the world was talking about the fact that Megan had exposed some sort of emotion of not being okay in the royal family. And I think that that's a, that's a, a, a topic that the world took to because it's, it's kind of like protocol. If you join this family, you need to keep all that business shuffled under the rug right and she by her saying that she's not okay and not only that she also said and i didn't see the whole interview i just saw the snippets of her she also said thank you for asking me that because no one has asked me how i've been that to me is what i think ticked people off in the royal family if they are ticked off um because that basically exposed that no one has shown any sort of care to her or her situation or has, you know, looked out for her. Now, that's not exposing Prince Harry. I'm sure she's not referencing him when she's saying that. But the fact that she said, like, no one has actually asked me how I've been says a lot. And the fact that she has to put on this brave face says a lot. Now... I'm goodnighting Wendy because I'm just kind of like, how do you not have any sympathy for someone who could be going through something bigger than what the royal tabloids are doing? She could be going through postpartum depression. Wendy has had a child before. She knows how it is to be a mother. And maybe because she was a first-time mother so long ago, she can't remember the first year of Kevin Hunter Jr.'s life. So she, she doesn't connect in that sort of way. But... I would never look down on someone who's going through 
first year of pregnancy and first year of being a wife and then say, oh, well, you knew what you were getting yourself into. Now, I think on Wendy's stance, I think that she's saying that Megan knew what she was getting into when it came to the fame and the and the notoriety or the the recognition of who she is and the platform that she's on now. I do think that Megan knew what she was getting into in that aspect. But for me to say things have turned out the way that she thought that they would, that's a different story. And so I have to I have to good night, Wendy. All right. Next topic. Um, we have two more left. The first one is around Drake and Drake's father. Drake's father went on Nick Cannon's show and had some, I don't know, harsh things to say about his son. <laughs> Specifically, um, Nick Cannon was asking about, you know, Drake and his relationship and how, you know, Drake's dad has been a part of some of Drake's biggest and most personal songs. And so Drake's dad responds about how he's been portrayed in Drake's music. He says, I had a conversation with Drake about that. I've always been with Drake. I talk to him, if not every day, every other day. We really got into a deep conversation about that. I said, Drake, why are you saying all this different stuff about me, man? This ain't cool. And he goes, Dad, it sells records. Now, some of the bigger songs that we talked about where Drake gets a little personal, whether it's zero to a hundred or look what you've done. And you guys should go take a listen to those. If you I haven't love heard, heard them, because those are some fire songs, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, when asked about these lyrics and Drake's music, um, you know, his dad further said, we had conversations about that. Also, I said, Drake, man, you just got to stop this. You know, that never happened. He goes, Dad, listen, man, just go with the flow. This shit sells records. That is Drake's dad's response to all those questions. Drake, on the other hand, ends up responding via IG story with this. Woke up today so hurt, man. My father will say anything to anyone that's willing to listen to him. It's sad when family gets like this, but what can we really do that's the people we are stuck with? Every bar I ever spit was the truth, and the truth is hard for some people to accept. Shrug emoji. Mm. Avia, yeah. hyper good night to Drake's dad's comments about his lyrics. Listen, if Drake's dad is lying, then good night. If he's telling the truth, then hype. It seems <laughs> to be a discrepancy as to how much his dad has been in his life. Mm. And I can understand a situation where maybe it's a situation of Drake's dad not being there. And he's been around lately after Drake's super fame and him replacing those bad moments back in the day with these good moments now and saying, I've been there. Because I feel like as people get older, they tend to forget how things went down and they choose to remember things however they want to sometimes. Um, so... I mean, honestly, if his dad is not keeping it real and is a little bit confused about what really happened in the past, then good night to that. But if it is true that Drake is solely mentioning his dad in his way to sell records, then I think that's super faulty. And as a person whose real dad has not been in their life for the last 26 years, I would never advocate for someone to lie like that on a black man who has been there for you. Um, I take that personally like right. super personally, like you're gonna use this to sell records. This is not like, oh, <laughs> I sell drugs and I really didn't. This is like, people are actually going through fatherless um, 
households. Like people actually live in those types of situations. Um, so if what Drake's dad is saying is true, then I think I need to goodnight Drake also because he's walking in his dad's footsteps. His child is all the way in France. I don't know how many times he's seen him based off of his songs, off of his last album, not that much. So I think at the end of the day, Drake needs to not focus on the past, but focus on what's right in front of him. And that's, uh, his son and how many times he sees him in a month or in a year because otherwise he's gonna end up being just like his dad so i'm good night and the fuck out of his dad uh his mom's been very clear about their relationship drake's been very clear with his family his family's very outright uh his dad was nowhere near drake was in toronto his dad was not in toronto so it's clear that his dad wasn't actually around and in terms of him calling if you call even if you call every other day which was not true as well um it's you, not the same as being you, there. Yeah, like this is not even <laughs> a birthday card is, doesn't make up for your absence exactly, at my track meet. This, this is not the same, bro. This and we is need like to a have conversation. We need, we need to have a dad is a dad episode. Yeah. <laughs> so his dad coming online and then saying that reckless ass shit, and you basically you're basically riding the coattails of your son because you never became famous from doing what he is doing with himself. You always wanted to be in music. He did the thing that you couldn't do. And now you're riding his coattails to become successful, which is all wild because the boy gives you money. I don't understand any of this. So if I'm Drake, double middle fingers to my dad until the next life. You're off the payroll. But Drake's <laughs> a different kind of dude and he's a little bit more sensitive. He has a Leah tattooed on him, so he might forgive you. <laughs> anyway... Drake, please see your son more. <laughs> right, because that boy is one in a million, too. Okay, <laughs> so finally, on a final note, our final piece of the show. Um, recently, there's been this big beef between Gucci Mane and motherfucking Angela Yee. Now, this shit is stemming from last year. What hotel you at? <laughs> Uh, uh, a discrepancy that happened at one of the episodes that they had on The Breakfast Club last year sometime where Gucci came up to the show. Gucci made it very clear that Angela potentially was trying to get at him at one point while, and I think it was 2012 or 2013. Prior to jail. Right. And Angela Lee made it very clear that is not true. And not only that, uh, I wasn't interested in you at all at that point. And you also said that somebody was there that actually wasn't there when that person would have been Melissa Ford. He said Melissa Ford was there and she saw it. Melissa Ford wasn't because they didn't have a show together. Oh, he sounds like Drake's dad. So Don't know what's going this, on in life. A lot of this seems like a little <laughs> capish. Little cap. Mm. So, okay. So, all this to say, um, Angela Yee supposedly had told Gucci's team, and this is what, according to Gucci's team, that, you know, he wasn't allowed to be back on the show. And Angela Yee denied that. DJ Envy also denied that. So, DJ Envy and Angela Yee did a little court session on the show. It was just like... Oh, this is some really bullshit. Yeah. So what really happened? And then they went through the what really happened. And, uh, you know, Gucci then has an interview with one of their co-hosts, Charlemagne. Charlemagne goes on his own platform. 3.1 million views later, uh, Gucci and him's interview goes viral. And, and during that interview, Gucci makes it very clear that he would prefer never to talk to Angela Yee again and he doesn't respect her. And then on the flip side, he goes... He calls her some names too. Don't forget that. I want to slap the shit out of Envy. Um, so He calls her a B word. Yeah. So here's where I want to go with this. Avia, hyper goodnight to Charlemagne going behind his team's back and doing an interview with Gucci Mane. I think I'm going to goodnight it. And I, I kind of sat on the fence about this. Um... 
like there was a comment that someone had posted saying that um, at the end of the day, you know, Charlemagne and everybody, they're all just coworkers and people are going to do what they want to do, blah, blah, blah. And Angela Yee liked that comment. Um, so while we see Envy, Angela Yee and Charlemagne as the best of friends because they have the show together, at the end of the day, they are coworkers, right? Uh-huh. So someone may ask, well, what loyalty do you have to a coworker? Because that's just someone you work with. This is not your friend. This is not anyone that you owe anything to. I think that if Charlemagne was going to have this interview, he should have at least notified Angela Yee. Just at, at the at the bare minimum. Like, you're having this interview at the height of this beef between Gucci and Angela. It does look a little weird for you to have it on a separate platform despite of so not to cover his ass on a public level but just internally just say something to angela like look this is what's going down and conduct the interview he did tell envy that he had the interview and sent it to him and everything like that so i don't know what kind of loyalty charlemagne feels towards one person or another if he just sees everyone as a co-worker and i'm gonna do what i want to do regardless because it's business but I do feel like if he was going to do that, there was a way to go about that that he did not do. And it's just a respect level at that point. Um, I'm going to hype the fact that Charlemagne had the interview for one reason and one reason only. And this shit, they talked about this online. They talked about this everywhere. And I actually agree with it. Charlemagne has had numerous interviews where he accepts guests on the show that don't fuck with him, that don't like him. And they just sit through it. Nobody gives a shit. They're all just like, okay, you said some foul shit, so you're going to have to live in this. And so the fact that he did that interview, he didn't even bring Gucci Mane into the fray with you guys. He just did it outside of you. And so who gives a shit? At the point that he's willing to accept the brunt of whatever happens when he says fuck shit and somebody comes up and you guys are cool with them person coming up and he doesn't necessarily fuck mm-hmm. with that person, same energy needs to go both ways. I agree with that. That's it. I agree with that. I just, um, I don't think that Charlemagne had ill intentions. Because even in the interview, he does say, well, hopefully you, Angela, and Envy can come to a point where you guys just get on one accord. He does mention that. So I don't think that he was doing anything to dr- throw Angela under the bus or to like gang up on her. I just think that, yes, he does sit there with people that don't like him and he, he sucks it up and he carries on. I just think that he could have handled it internally a different way to make Angela feel a little bit better about the situation. Because at this point, I just don't think that she looks at him the same. Well, just like that, this is our show. I hope y'all enjoyed the shit out of that. (laughs) You can catch us on iTunes. You can catch us on SoundCloud. You can catch us on Google Play. You can catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Goodnight Harlem. Good night. Bye, y'all.